You're listening to the sermon podcast from Real Life Church Pullman, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. So let's jump into Acts because I have lots to cover and not enough time that, uh, to get it done before two like we normally are done. So I hope you guys packed a snack. So we've been in Acts, and in the book of Acts, we have been digging in and um, unpacking and meeting different characters, and we're going to be in Acts 10 today, but before we get into Acts chapter 10, I want us to rewind and remember a guy that we met in Acts chapter 6. We first met him in Acts chapter 6, and then when we were in Acts chapter 8, we learned a lot more about him. His name was Philip. You guys remember Philip? He's sort of awesome. If you ever wanted to be like somebody, be like Philip. Like, I can just tell you that right now. It's probably a great name for your kid. If there's anybody in here named Philip, pat yourself on the back. You, are, you at least have an awesome name. All right? Uh, Philip, in Acts chapter 6, we meet him because the church is growing. Things are getting exciting. Things are getting awesome. And, and people are coming to know Christ. And because of that, all these miracles are being done. And all these different people are coming in. And it's awesome and terrible all at the same time because there's sort of like more work to do than there are people to do it. Sounds a little bit like church a lot of times. And, and so what they do is they select some good guys to serve, to sort of like do some of the tasks involved in the church. And that particular instance, they were worried about some widows that weren't being fed and waiting some tables and cleaning up and doing some stuff. And one of the guys they picked was a guy named Philip. And they picked Philip because he was known as a guy that had a good reputation in the community. He was known as a guy who feared God and was spirit-filled and uh, was just a good, all-around, godly dude. And so he made the list of the people that they trusted to love on and care for these people that had a need to to meet in the church. And so then later, the persecution that we heard about, that starts to stir up. And so Stephen gets killed and the the believers start to scatter. And and we saw that Philip took off and he went to Samaria, to a city in Samaria. And And in Samaria, Philip could not stop talking about Jesus. And as he shared the gospel and he shared and taught about Jesus, he did healings and miracles and he helped a lot of different people and people flocked to him. And it says in the text that like all of the people, all of the people, different backgrounds, different ages, different races, different religious backgrounds, different pagan gods that they knew about and worshiped, all of the people universally listened to Philip. This guy had some influence. And then we see in Acts 8 that Philip was a guy that was so in tune with God that he knew what, uh, he, he listened to God and he obeyed God. He, like he, he heard from God and we saw that God sent him on this sort of random mission one time, right? That we learned about a couple of weeks ago where God said, hey, go out to that desert road. Like, like sort of like God telling you, go to that one gravel road that's on the field between here and Albion, Right, that road, you know that one that's sort of nobody drives on? Yeah, go out there and just drive down it for a little while. I'll catch you later. It was sort of a random instruction like that that he gave Philip. And then when he got there, he gave him a more specific instruction. Like, now that you're there, way to obey, number one, attaboy. And now that you're there, go to that chariot and stand next to it. And his, he was so in tune with the Lord and so good at listening and obeying that he actually went and did it, which led to him having an opportunity to have a cool conversation with this Ethiopian guy that had no idea what he was reading about in some, uh, in, uh, some 
uh, scripture. And so that led to the Ethiopian guy putting his faith and trust in Jesus, which led to Philip having the opportunity to baptize this guy, which led to Philip, like Adam said last week, getting to be the first guy to ever have like the Star Trek transporter experience, right? I told everybody first service, I am praying for that. I spent a lot of time in the airport last week in airplanes. I really want the Star Trek transporter thing. It worked for Philip. He did it. It's real. I want it. Okay, so for the record, if I just disappear in the middle of this deal, don't freak out, but somebody come look for me. Okay, so he disappears. And where does it say he shows up in Acts 8? It says that he shows up in a place called Azotus and he's going along the way preaching about Jesus and and preaching the gospel and teaching about Jesus all the way until he gets to a place called Caesarea. Say Caesarea. That's fun to say, isn't it? Caesarea. It's a place called Caesarea Maritima. There are two Caesareas in Bible times, and one is inland, Caesarea Philippi. One is on the coast, Caesarea Maritima. The one that we're learning about, now all this story is going to take place this morning, is Caesarea Maritima. It's a really cool place. It's right on the coast, right on the beachfront of the Mediterranean Sea. It is gorgeous, like teal water that you can see a mile out in and there's this like all these amazing ruins it is epic it is a place you want to go on vacation for sure if you ever get a chance go there trust me you will love it okay I would love to tell you a little bit more about it but I don't have time to do that today so here's what we're going to do for fun today at five o'clock I'm going to be on Facebook on our real life stuff and our Instagram stuff and I'm going to share some behind the scene nuggets about Caesarea Caesarea Maritima. Sometimes I have to focus when I talk. And so I'm going to share some details about that, uh, some pictures, and I'm going to show you like where I was and what I did there and tell you a little bit about the behind the scenes things about how it was built and what it would have looked like. It's really, really cool. I just don't have time to talk about it today. So jump on Facebook at five and find it just for a fun little uh, afternoon adventure. All right. So, so that's where Philip goes. So here's the thing. What we know about this guy, Philip, so far, is that he is super in tune with the Lord. He's super obedient. He goes where God leads. He listens to where, where God tells him to go. And when he goes to this city in Samaria, he, he shares with all these people, and everybody universally listens to him, and to the point that, that that city in Samaria is referred to after Philip has been there and done all this cool stuff that he's done. The, Luke says that that city was referred to as a city that was full of joy. Could you imagine one guy coming to town and so infecting everybody in a good way? Everybody's really in tune with the infection analogy, so I was trying to use that to my advantage. Is it working? That, that it becomes known that this is a city of joy, like people are on fire in this city for the Lord because of what Philip was doing. Now we see that Philip shows up in this place called Caesarea Maritima, and the story that we're going to see today, the text that we're going to dig into in Acts 10, we're going to meet some people some new, new characters on the scene from Caesarea. And as we meet this people, these people in this story, I want us to imagine the kind of town that they would have been in, 
the, the kind of things that might have gone on now that we know who Philip was and that Philip ended up there in that town. Because it sort of seems like everywhere Philip goes, God's stuff just explodes. Like amazing things start to happen. So with that in mind, we're going to jump into Acts chapter 10, okay? So starting in the beginning of Acts chapter 10, it goes like this. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing, and he gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. And he stared at him in fear because that's what everybody does when you see an angel of the Lord. What is it, Lord, he asked. And the angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with a different guy named Simon, the tanner. Used a lot of bronzer, right? Um, I saw some of that in Orlando. So Simon the tanner, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants, and he told them everything that had happened, and he sent them to Joppa. All right, so now we meet this guy Cornelius. And we know that Cornelius is not a Jew. He is a Roman soldier, a centurion. He's a, he's a, a guy that's got some influence and leadership. We know that he, for some reason, is interested in the God of the Jews to the point that he prays to him regularly, that he's devout and fears him. Um, He's a guy that's a, a generous guy. And what's interesting is when we look at this passage, there's kind of a neat thing going on here. There's this juxtaposition of how we learn about who Cornelius is. Luke, the author of this book, is telling us about Cornelius. And as Luke tells us about him, he does what most of us all do. We start from the outside in. We start from the outside by going like uh, name, rank, serial number, job description, how long he's been there, how many he's in charge of. And oh, and then he's got some other details about him too, right? You know, Luke's like, he's a, Roman, he's, a, he's a Roman centurion, he's from this region, he's, this is his rank, so he has this many people he's in charge of, and he, he kind of goes and through, tells us all this sort of stuff. And then when the angel comes and speaks to Cornelius, the angel comes to him, and he kind of cuts to the chase in a whole different way. Like, the angel doesn't come to Cornelius and go, Cornelius, my fine Roman soldier that's in charge of this many people and you do this for work every day, right? No, the angel comes to him and says, Cornelius, your prayers and your generosity have come up before God as a memorial offering. That's a way of of this angel saying to, to Cornelius, God has remembered you. You are on the mind of God. Why? Because of the way you pray for people and the way your generosity lines up with your heart on the inside. Like you're not just a guy that says it, you're a guy that does it. And, and because of that, I need to tell you as an as a ambassador of God to come beha- on his behalf and speak to you and tell you what God has me to say to you. I want you to know that you are on the mind of God. I don't know about you, but the idea that 
that you could pray and fervently love and care for other people and call out to God because you love them and care about them and for the things going on in their lives and that you could be generous and your actions, like the way you say you love people, your, your actual life lines up with it like you actually love people. You, you give and you sacrifice and it lines up with what you say and, and, and how you talk to God about people. The idea that when you do that, it actually puts you on the forefront of God's mind. That's pretty cool. Could you imagine the creator of the universe has you on his mind and that he would send somebody to make sure you know? Like, that's a pretty cool thing. That's a pretty cool thing. So Cornelius is this guy and he has this vision and and God's given him some really specific instructions about the names of people, the places of stuff, all these details. Meanwhile, 30 miles away in this place called Joppa, a different city, is a guy named Peter. And God is about to do something very similar to Peter, the apostle. Peter was the guy we met a few weeks back where he preached at Pentecost and stood up with all the other apostles. You're going to find out later this morning that that Peter's got one go-to sermon. You'll hear it again today, right? So, so here's what's going on, just to give you the cliff notes. Peter, it's about the middle of the day. He's hungry, kind of like I am right now. Stomach's growling a little bit. Peter's hungry, and he is going to go up on his rooftop to pray and spend some time with the Lord before lunchtime. And so Peter goes up on his roof to pray, and as he goes up to ro- on the roof to pray, he's, I don't know if you guys have ever done this, but he sort of prayed, and especially helps when you're really hungry and your stomach's growling, you're kind of zoning, you're low on energy, like your, your E, your, you know, your little meter's like, I'm like running out of juice, and I'm tired, and I'm hungry, and it's hot, and I'm on a roof praying, like you know how you do. Um, and, and so what happens is he kind of zones out says that he goes in a trance. Like for me, I've done a lot of that. I've like, it looks like I'm sort of drooling and staring at a wall a little bit and I'm half asleep, but not asleep. I don't know if you guys have ever done that. Um, Welcome to confessions with that. So that's what Peter's doing. And God comes to him in this trance and he gives him this vision and he gives him this vision of this sheet that's dropping down from heaven with all of this stuff on this sheet, these, this food and animals and all of these things that for a Jew had always been unclean, unacceptable. You can't touch them, go near them, eat them, have anything to do with them. And God's bringing it down to him. And in this vision, God's telling him all that stuff that was all the stuff that you weren't supposed to touch, eat, go near. Now I want you to know all that's good. Welcome to the new barbecue. Everything's in. Like, you can order anything. It's all going to be good. And, and Peter's like, are you sure? And, and they have this back and forth. Yes, 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 right? So they go this back and forth. And, and then as Peter's sort of like coming out of this daydream of this weird thing with God telling him that all these things that he's always known his whole life that were things he was supposed to stay away from, abstain, to not eat, to not touch. God's telling him they're okay and they're clean and now you can eat them and and don't argue with them because if God said it's good, it's good. And he's sort of snapping out of that with this on his mind and then God says, oh, by the way, there's going to be three guys showing up at your door. Not 10, not two, not one. There's going to be three guys showing up at your door. And when they show up, don't be alarmed. They're the guys that I sent to come get you to take you somewhere. And you should go with them. And he sort of snaps out of it and is 
probably thinking that was weird. And he goes downstairs to hear a knock at his door and he opens the door and sure enough, who's there? Three guys, two servants and a Roman soldier, all who are obviously not Jewish, who are Gentile people, who are people that he normally would not associate with, who are people that he normally would not eat with, invite into his home, share a meal with, hang out with. They are knocking at his door and he knows without a shadow of a doubt, these are the guys that God had sent to him to tell him to go somewhere. And what does Peter do? He does something awesome. This is one of those little things, these little blips in history where we get a window into seeing some radical heart change in, in a person. Like this is that time, maybe some of you have had a time where you can look back and you're like, that's the time where I know things started to shift in the way I thought about other people. The time that I started to shift in my trust in how God leads me. Like I can remember the mark in the moment, and the, the second in the day. Like this is that time with Peter. Peter does something crazy. These three guys show up at his door and it says that he invited them in, which is something a Jew would have never done. Not only does he invite them in, but if we remember our story, he was hungry. Before he went up to have this crazy prayer thing, he was about to have lunch. And so guess what you can, you can bet that Peter did? He invites these Gentile guys into his house, a Roman soldier, to boot. He invites them into his house, and they eat. There is something big time new going on in Peter's heart that never was happening before in his life. And so, let's pick the story back up. In verse 23, it goes like this. It says, then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests, and the next day, check that out, the next day. So these three guys show up, they eat dinner together, and all of a sudden they've slept on his couch. This is a level of hospitality to Gentiles never before seen, and certainly not by Peter. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. Okay, you guys got to track with me on this picture of what's going on here. Peter has, he's an apostle. There are, there are other people who are Jews who have, have come to faith in Christ and they are hanging around Peter because Peter is a stud and they want to be around this guy because he is a preaching, soul winning, Jesus telling machine and people are drawn to him like crazy and he's got all these people in his house and he starts to leave to go to this other town and a bunch of people who are Jewish people who believe in Jesus follow. So you got this pack of people that are going with Peter, that are people that are like Peter, that are following three Gentiles to a place they're not exactly sure where they're going or what they're going to do. Okay, and check this out. So they're going along. The following day, they arrive in Caesarea and Cornelius was expecting them and he had called together his relatives and close friends. So now you got to get the other side of the story. Cornelius, this Gentile, has a bunch of Gentile friends who don't know or fear God and he starts to share with his family and his friends about what God's told him and he's pretty sure this Peter guy must be on his way. And so he rallies a bunch of people to get together. So we're about to see this crazy thing happen. You got all of these people that aren't Jewish, that are Gentiles, that, that don't ever mingle with Jews, and all these Jews on the way that don't ever mingle with Gentiles, and God's given these guys dreams and visions and told them to go meet each other, and they actually meet at a Gentile's house, and that's what we're about to see. 
So as Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence, but Peter made him get up and he said, stand up. I'm just a man myself. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message that God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. So here we see something really cool going on. For us today, it's easy to miss the significance of this story in the text. It's easy to just blow by it as God told this guy to talk to this guy and they went and talked. It's like, oh yeah, cool. No, no. This thing that's happening right here, this is like somebody saying, hey, all of a sudden yesterday world peace happened in the Middle East. You would be like, wait a minute, what? Like that's this kind of level of story. And, and, and Peter goes in and his Jewish friends that, that had come with him, they, they, they're like, uh, we don't normally do this sort of thing. This is not cool. And they follow Peter in anyways. And so now we've got this meeting of these two different types of people with these two different backgrounds from these two different worlds colliding in the house of a Roman Gentile. And Peter and Cornelius start to talk and they start to figure out like, how is it that we even came to know each other all of a sudden, right? And as they share, they, they understand that, that God gave them these dreams and visions and they start to realize like, that sounds a lot like the way God got me to come here. That sounds like a lot like the way God told me to send for you. And we read a story like this and we see how God was working in this story in our world today. I think it's really easy to look at this text and to go, that's the way God used to do stuff. Like God used to do amazing, miraculous things and like speak to people in their dreams. And it's a cool thing then, but it doesn't seem very realistic today, right? Kind of our inner skeptic, the logic side of us sort of comes out like, eh, I don't think, I mean, right? Or, or it's just a little bit too weird for us and we sort of just read right by it and we're sort of like, Okay, I get all this other stuff, but like how they got their dreams, visions, sheets from the air, like, that's weird. I'll just kind of stuff that in the corner over there. And I'm not going to really spend a lot of time thinking about that part. I'm just going to be like, yeah, it was one of my, sure, I'll take your word for it, God, things that we just tuck away and don't look at. But I got news for you. That same God, he still works that way. He's still comes to people in their dreams. He still gives people visions. He still draws people together in miraculous and amazing ways and does unbelievable things. I can tell you that with confidence because I've personally experienced that. I have sat down at my kitchen table and I have had just like zoning out, daydreaming about stuff and feeling like God's given me these ideas about things. And I'm like, where is that coming from? That's like a left, that's not even something I would ever think about. And I write it down in my journal. I'm like, I don't know if that's just a me weird thing or is that God showing me something? And I write it down and I chew on it. And then to come back like immediately and have affirmation in my life with different things that happen where I'm like, okay, that's something. That all, two guys knocked at my door and talked to me about the thing that I didn't think was important because it didn't make any sense to me. But someone showed up and said, hey, I think we're supposed to talk to you about this. And all of a sudden I'm like, I sort of believe this. Like, this is weird, 
right? I think for a lot of us, we love the idea that God is a God that speaks to us. We love the idea that God is a God that loves us and cares about us. We love the idea that, that God is interested and cares and wants to guide and direct us. But when it comes down to the brass tacks of actually believing that he does it, personally with you, sometimes we get a little bit wimpy in our faith. And it's sort of like, yeah, I mean, maybe like for the pastor, but I don't know if that's for like Peter. I don't know if that's like a thing he does with everybody. Last week, Chris and Mariah and I were at this conference and kind of had my faith and my understanding of how amazing God is and how God can work. I had my, my how much do I believe God can do miraculous things, faith muscles stretched, like way stretched, way out of my comfort zone. To where I was like, Whew, I, thought I, was, I thought I was in. I thought I, I thought I was on board with believing that God works in amazing ways. And I just had my mind sort of blown. I need to like rethink some things. This conference that we were at is called Exponential. It is the largest gathering of church planners on the planet. Every year, once a year, um, they do lots of them around the globe. But every year, once a year, they all gather together. There was something like 6,000 people in a room worshiping God together. It's made up of people who are feeling called to plant churches, people who are in the middle of planting a church or in the process of it. It's a lot of people from churches like ours that are going there going, I want to be a kind of a church that trains up and equips and sends people out to plant new churches. And I don't want to have to recreate the wheel, right? I want to learn everything I can from someone that's already done it. And so it's those kind of people all gathered together. They are missional, kingdom-minded, take ground crazy for Jesus people. It was fun. It was fun. And one of the guys we met was a guy named Shadonke Johnson. And you have to say that because it's fun. Shadonke. Nobody said it. Y'all need to have some more fun. All right, ready? It sounds, it's fun if you say it funny too, like Shadonke. Try it. See, it made you smile, didn't it? All right, so Shadonke Johnson is from Sierra Leone, Africa. He's got a super fun name, and he's a super amazing human being, the likes of a Paul or a Peter. And we got an opportunity to not only hear him speak and lead worship and, and prayer and teaching, but we got to hang out with him in a living room at a house. And I can so relate to how Cornelius felt when Peter showed up to where it was just sort of like, I've heard about you and the fact that God brought you here. Like, I feel like I should fall at your feet and worship you. Like, I felt like that with this guy in the room. I'm like, I don't think that I even have the right to be in the same room as you. And I know that's not how God sees things, but I can relate. This man is right now heading up, um, and over the last several years, but he is heading up probably one of the biggest disciple-making movements on the globe, all of earth. This guy is seeing more Muslims convert to Christianity, all of the people involved in all of the research that that have kept track of all the stats, everybody involved are saying that no one has seen anything like what is going on in Sierra Leone through his ministry in, in like a thousand years. Recently, there's been over 100,000 Muslims convert to Christianity. 
thousands, not a few, not a hundred, thousands of churches planted. Now here's the crazy part. It's in an area, in an environment where it is completely illegal and unsafe to talk about Jesus, to talk about God. You can't say Jesus's name. You can't talk about God. You can't hand out tracts. You can't do any normal evangelism conversations. You can't invite somebody to have coffee and say that you'll pray with, pray for them, right? Like you can't do any of that stuff. You can't get together openly with your friends and worship and, and learn and study the word together like we do. You can't do any of that stuff. And yet in that environment where, where nothing is allowed or you'll, you'll just get killed. Sitting in the room, listening to him tell story after story after story how he's been poisoned multiple times. He's almost died multiple times. Lots of people that he knows and loves that have been committed to share their faith have been killed. Family members have been tortured. Family members have been killed. And he's sitting there telling us how you can't, you have to speak in secret codes and and it's super, super unsafe. And I'm sitting here in the back of my mind going, something is not computing. Because... How, how is it that over a hundred thousand people have come to know Christ in a place where you can't give anything out, talk about him, say anything, share with anything, get together as a group? Like how? You guys want to know? So I'm going to give you a little warning. I joke around a lot. Like I'm, I, 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 I tease and joke around a lot. I'm telling you right now, this is something I am so not joking around about. I'm going to give you a warning. What I'm about to tell you is going to stretch your faith in how God works. Like, you're, like you, what do you really believe about how God can do things? How God can change and reach people? Like what you know right now, like right now you don't know what I'm about to say. What's in your head right now, I'm about to like stretch it. So I'm just giving you a warning. You guys ready for a little stretch? Here's the secret. Shadonke and thousands of people that are a part of their organization who believe in Jesus get up early every morning They get on their knees and they pray. That's the easy part. They fast. That's the easy part. Here's here's what they pray for. They pray that the Muslim people that they love and care about, that they desperately want to know Jesus, will have dreams and that God will come to them in their dreams. That Jesus will show up to him like he showed up to Peter on a rooftop. Like he showed up to Cornelius in a vision or a dream. And that he will personally call them out away from sin, away from Islam, away from this false God and this false religion to come to know the one true God. And they pray fervently that God will come to them in their dreams because that's all they've got. And then he's got a whole bunch of stories that go something like this. So the guy that I was praying for, and I prayed that he would have dreams, he came up to me one day and he said, man, I've been having all these weird dreams. And, and I, I, I don't understand like, who this guy is or like, what these dreams mean. And then you know how he responds to him? 
He goes, sounds like the guy in your dreams is trying to tell you something. Maybe next time you dream it, you should listen. I don't know about you guys, but I get excited when somebody starts telling me God's working in their life. I kind of like jump the gun and I need to like, hey, this is my part. Let me tell you what's next, right? They can't do that. Sometimes it's spies. Sometimes it's people infiltrating, like, like they can't do that. So they just put it back on God. All right, cool. Sounds like, sounds like the guy in your dreams is trying to say something to you. Maybe you should just like keep listening. And they just push it back off on them. And then it's like two times later, three times later, 10 times later. All right, I can't eat. I can't sleep. I can't do anything like this. This, this dream doesn't go away. It's tormenting me. It's like, it's just like, driving me nuts and I like if you don't tell me and then like okay I think now maybe we're ready to talk secretly and one person at a time thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people are putting their faith in Jesus because this crazy dude is getting up at three o'clock in the morning and sitting on his knees praying for people that he loves and cares about. I got a little bit excited. (laughs) I got a little bit fired up and I'm like, boy, my prayer life is weak sauce compared to Shadonka. And I can tell you what, man, it's, it's good to have somebody that you look up to. It's good to have, to be reminded and spurred on to be like that, that, I I strive, I long to be a guy like him. The same God that came to Peter and Cornelius is the same God that's coming to Muslims around the world, is the same God that can come to your friend that you love and care about, and you don't know how to start the conversation. He is just as faithful to hear and answer your prayer and go to that person as he is to any other person that you ask him to go to. Do we have the boldness, the guts to get uncomfortable and be a little bit weirded out and just trust that God is the kind of God that will go talk to a guy on a rooftop who's hungry for lunch and send him to go see a guy that he would never go and eat with so that the whole world could be different, right? Let's finish up. Let's see how it finishes up in Acts and then we're going to wrap up quick. Quick. Whoa, they, they changed the stage and it's got a dip here. I knew I was going to like probably fall. Um, so you know what happened throughout the province of Judea. So this is Peter. Uh, he, he and Cornelius are in the house. They, he's like, I know that we're here for the right reasons. I get that God brought me here. And Peter does what Peter does. He goes to his go-to sermon, right? Um, he says, you know what happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything that he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. And he was not seen by all the people, but by the witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Keep going, let's go to the rest of it. All right. He commanded us to preach preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as the judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And so 
it says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message and the circumcised believers. Now that's important that they put that in there. Luke makes a point to call that out. The circumcised believers. So what he's saying is, he's reminding us, the Jewish people who had believed in Jesus, that had came to Caesarea with Peter, that are sitting in this house, hearing this talk, those people were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. So this is the way this story wraps up. We see this thing going on in this house where God calls these two guys. He gives them these specific dreams and vision. He makes it a point to hook them up, to get them together. These guys are influencers. They have people that follow them and, and, and want to know what they believe. And so with them comes their posse. And they all come head to head in the house of a Roman soldier named Cornelius. And in that house, in this story, what we've just been learning about and reading about is something that probably a lot of us maybe don't realize how special and significant this thing is. It's easy to read this text and to go like, cool, like God brought some people together that probably wouldn't have been friends. No, it's not like that. That's not what happened right here. That's a thing. It's not the thing. What just happened in this story right here is we just looked back in history at a slice of time, at a day, and a moment between a conversation between God and two different people where he brought them together and God did something in this place in that time at that moment that had never, ever happened in the history of our faith. God made it clear that everybody can get in. He made it clear that anybody who calls out to him, that prays to him, that is generous, that has a a healthy fear of him, that loves him like Cornelius did, anybody can receive salvation. And what you need to know is that at that day, at that time in history, this was brand new. And it was awesome, and it was exciting, and it was terrifying, and it was amazing, and it was terrible. And, and we're going to see as we go through Acts, all of this amazing stuff happens where, where the benefit, the, the awesomeness part of that, where, where things just unfold and how cool they are, is we're going to get to see different guys like Paul and Silas and Timothy get to go to the rest of the world. And now that they know that everybody's in, anybody can receive salvation if they'll put their faith and trust in Jesus, they now have the freedom to take that message everywhere they go to the ends of the earth. And the rest of the book of Acts is full of story after story after story of the most amazing, awesome things you could ever imagine being a part of as a Christian. It's also full of some of the worst fights and throwdowns over who gets in and who shouldn't be in. And and some of the old guard and this tension that it's not fair because we grew up this way and we used to have to believe this and we had to do these things. And now it's not fair. They don't have to do the things that we had to do to get what we have. And they flat out fight and kill and persecute over the right to decide who gets to be in and who doesn't. 
And it's the same fight that we still have today. It's the same fight we still have in the modern church. It's the same fight we still have and the same kind of tensions we have in our own church. And I'll, like, let's just drill it way home, personal. It's the same tension that you've got to wrestle with in your own heart as just you, the person you. Because if I really pressed on you, I could find in you thoughts and memories and ideas about people that you really don't want to come knocking at your door. People that you really don't want to invite in to come and share a meal with you and sleep on your couch for the night and then go for a hike with them the next day, right? Like if we really got real and we really peeled this open, there's going to be people you know that you're like, as much as I love the idea that God's for everybody, I don't know that I want that guy. I don't, I don't want to be the person that has to give that message to that person. And I don't want them invading my life and being a part of my house and sleeping on my couch. And it's like, that's the tension. That's the thing God wants us to really wrestle with. And as you feel that, and as those thoughts stir up in you, as you meet someone or you recall someone comes to mind that you're like, ooh, I hope I'm not the one that gets called to like have them come over. Right, and you wrestle with those thoughts, what you've got to do is you've got to draw yourself back to this story. You've got to put yourself back in that house with Peter and Cornelius, and you've got to go, yeah, but there was a day. There was a day where God made it clear that he is a God that is for everybody that will put their faith and trust in him. Even that person, I hope, doesn't sleep on my couch. And we've got to be bold to be the kind of people that are willing to get out of our comfort zone and to like have a faith that's like a, a faith like Peter and those crazy people that followed him on a 30-mile hike to go see a Gentile that they didn't think had the right to know their God. So this morning we're going to finish with communion together. So if you're serving communion, if we could go ahead and grab it and serve it, that would be fabulous. If you are new with us at Real Life, what we do here is we take communion every week. And um, we do that because it's a really special and um, important thing to us as believers to remember what Christ has done for us. And so as they pass the elements, if you could just hold on to them, and then we're going to take communion together as a family here before we go home. So while that stuff's getting passed out, there's going to be some questions in your notes and uh, up on the screen. So let's take a look at those. And just kind of use them as a way to kind of just wrap us up this morning with some thoughts. Let's look at those. First one is this. Uh, Our hours of prayer are God's hours of communication. How's your prayer life? You know, like Peter went up to pray. Cornelius prayed. God was talking to these guys because they were praying. God's doing amazing things through Shadonke and the ministry that he's involved in because he's got thousands of people that are committed to pray. If you're, if you're one of those people that goes, this idea that God would talk to me and give me some instructions, like that sounds great, it just doesn't feel very realistic. My next question is, how's your prayer life? You're probably not going to hear from someone you never talk to. Next step. Are you open to God stretching you to reach out to people that you might not have otherwise? I would really challenge all of us, me too. Like, let's, let's put some time this week into thinking about who would we be uncomfortable with coming over for dinner? And then let's maybe be crazy and then invite them. 
Next one. Who have you invited and welcomed into your home lately? Same thing. Okay, last one. Who in your circle needs to know that they can get in with Jesus? Here's something I want you to catch at this. Like, I'm not saying who do you need to evangelize. I'm not challenging you to have the perfect words to say. I'm saying who needs to just know that Jesus has a table set and there is a chair waiting for him, that they're welcome at the banquet, right? Like, who just needs to know that, like, I don't know if you're ready to choose today or not. I don't know if you're ready to come in for dinner or not. I don't know if you're ready to sit down at the table with Jesus. That's between you and Jesus. But I just feel obligated to tell you that, man, the minute you're ready, my God loves you and has a seat at the table for you. And if you ever want to know about that, I'd be happy to help. Like, who do you know that needs to know that? We get to share that stuff. We get to be excited about that stuff because of what Christ did for us. That's why it's so important that we do this every week before we go and we remember what Jesus did for us. We remember that because of his sacrifice, our sins are forgiven, that everyone and anyone we ever meet and ever will know can have the same forgiveness that we experience by putting their faith in Christ. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us at rlcpullman.com and by connecting with us on Facebook. Until next time, have a great week.